Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Y'all are rowdy this morning. That's because you got plenty of sleep. By way of introduction, I am Bob Whitty for... Those of us that have not met, thank you, church, for supporting your, your teenagers here. Uh, I have the privilege of working at Ozark Christian College. I teach Old Testament there. Uh, we have undergrad classes, online classes, grad school classes. Uh, these guys up here, they're, they're my family. I love them. I've had all of them in class. They're fantastic. Uh, your college reps that are out there get to spend a lot of time with them on our campus as well. And so if any of you have any questions or you just want a little bit more information, uh, me, my friend Jenny, others will be out at the booth um, later on that's out in the lobby. We'd be glad to talk to you about our school that trains men and women for Christian ministry. Now, for our students that are in here, we've been talking about influence, that if you want to make a difference, then you have to just be different. And for three messages in a row, we've just talked about the influence that the cross can have in our life in very specific ways. And this morning, I want to turn the corner a little bit because we've talked about the impact that the, the Christ on the cross has in our life, now we need to look about look at being an influence on other people in the culture that we have here to share the gospel with them. And our high school and junior high students that are in here, is there a plethora of people that tell you what to do all the time? Yes. There are. All right. Name some. Teachers. Me. Oh, that was from my son that's out here, one of the college leaders here. Yes, I tell you what to do. Absolutely. Who else? Parents. <laughs> Mom, the most powerful person in the entire world, mom, okay? There was, there was once I was teaching on, this is total side note, I did not do this first service, but that mom comment just struck me as funny. I was teaching on taming the tongue, and I got a cow's tongue, and I put it inside of a box, and on the outside of the box I said, in this box is the most powerful thing in the world. And they were all trying to guess what it is, a nuclear bomb, this or that. And I'm, you know, talking about the power of our speech, our mouth. And some little junior high kid said, how'd you fit my mom in that box? Like, <laughs> good point. Okay. All right. Back on track. Who else tells you what to do? Okay. Parents, dad, bosses, coaches, uh, choir directors. Uh, the pre- somebody said the president. Yep, I guess he tells us what to do as well. Yeah, we've got all of these people that try and influence our culture. And on a daily basis, they're trying to tell us what to do to have influence in our life. It might be your job, practice, ads, telling you what to buy, teachers, mentors, parents, group leaders that are here. They all have an opinion about what you are supposed to do with your life. And it's not all bad. A lot of times it's meant to provide boundaries and guidance for you, but after a while, so many people bombarding you with what to do, it becomes white noise and we just don't always listen to those things. But one person that we seem to leave off the list quite frequently is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has an opinion about what you need to do with your life and 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 he wants to share it with you daily. And we're not quite sure what to do with the Holy Spirit sometimes. Francis Chan, this author, says that the Holy Spirit is actually the forgotten God. Because we all understand, at least have a concept of God the Father. Uh, we have earthly fathers here, that, that concept is common, and then so we, we kind of get God the Father. And I bet you if everybody closed their eyes right now and I said, I want you to picture an image of Jesus in your head. You know, th- this man that came to earth. 
here and lived among us and taught and died. Like we all have that image of Jesus in our head, but then the Holy Spirit, we're just not quite sure what to do with him. As a matter of fact, a lot of times people don't even call the Holy Spirit him. We'll say that about Jesus, we'll say that about God, but then the Holy Spirit will refer to an it. But it's just as much a member of the Trinity, the Godhead, as Jesus and the Father. Uh, we, we say that he's the third member of the Trinity, and often it's like, well, God gets the gold medal and Jesus the silver, and the Holy Spirit gets bronze. He makes the podium, but not as good as the other two, and that's not what we mean by third member of the Trinity at all. It's this idea that he is the third revealed to us. God the Father, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And of course, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, reveal to us Jesus. And then the book of Acts reveals the Holy Spirit to us as the third member of the Trinity that dwells within us today. And so we need to take a look at what God says about the Holy Spirit. And it might help us with our uh, theme that we have here of influence and how we can be an influence on others. And so we need to open up our Bibles. So open heart, what? Open Bibles. And so what do the adults in the, in the room need to do? Open their Bibles. And their hearts. Yeah, we need open hearts that God is going to speak to us today. And, and he will. But the last thing you need is some preacher up on the stage telling you things that are in the word without investigating it yourself, without underlining, taking notes, looking at what God is doing in his word so that you can carry that with you. And so open hearts, open Bibles. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that with the adults in the room today. You guys have learned some things, haven't you? Open up to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 in the New Testament. You guys got it there? We're going to read the first 11 verses there. I want you to pay attention to some repeated words in there, okay? Because if something's repeated, it's what? Important. Important. If something's repeated in God's word, it's important. So let's look for repeated words in here. Uh, And so it starts out, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his, after his sufferings, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father. That my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then he gathered around, then he, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he said to them, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. That's the word of the Lord from the book of Acts. And in there, it starts with this phrase, in my former book, Theophilus. What is the former book? Who wrote the book of Acts? Does anybody know? 
Luke. Yeah, good, good job. This guy, Luke, wrote the book of Acts, and he's talking about his former book, which is the Gospel of Luke. And he says that he told us everything that began, that Jesus began to do and teach. So this guy, Luke, he's a historian, and he's writing this two-volume work. The first volume is all about Jesus and what he did here on earth. And it says that he wrote about everything that Jesus began to do, which I think is a unique phrase. Because on the cross in the book of Luke, he tells us when Jesus was on the cross, he said these words that it is finished like he finished his work on the cross wouldn't you agree with that that, that I mean that's what he said and he finished it and then he resurrected and he, and he forgave the sins of humanity I mean it, all of the stuff that comes through the cross Jesus completed his work there but now he's starting off his his book to this guy Theophilus that he's writing to and we don't know a whole lot about him um, at all but but in his writings he's saying this is everything Jesus began to do Well, did he finish it or is he beginning it? Well, yes is the answer to that. Jesus did the first part of his work in a body of flesh here on earth, teaching, preaching, and then giving up that body of flesh on the cross. And then he does the second part of his work through the body of believers. That was the disciples. That's been the church throughout the ages. That is Grace Point and Grace Point students that are here that Jesus is going to begin a good work in you. And he's going to do that in a very specific way. Now, the disciples, they don't get it. Jesus is teaching them after he's resurrected and they're not quite getting everything. And it's understandable why. Because they thought Jesus was going to be this militant Messiah. All through the Old Testament, they were waiting for a Messiah to show up. And they all thought that he was going to be born in a palace. But where was Jesus born? Stable. And then they thought he was going to come riding in on this white horse and a chariot. He was going to have this huge army around him. He was going to overthrow the Roman government. But Jesus didn't ride on a horse. He rode on a donkey, didn't he? It's like he's this humble, quiet man that teaches with authority. Like he's, he's this good person. and He does these miracles. But they're now, after he's beaten death, I mean, he's beaten up death completely. They're thinking now is the time that he will finally rise to power. And James and John want to be on his right and his left and his disciples want to gather around them. And there's no more, there's no more of this just like niceness about Jesus. They want him to take up a sword and a chariot and finally overthrow the Romans and and establish his government of peace here on earth so that the Jews could finally be free. And so they're asking this question, is now the time? Because we're ready to fight. And Jesus says, you're worrying about the wrong things. That's not your concern. That's the concern of my father. You don't need to worry about that. You just need to keep yourself focused on one thing and one thing only. And it's a word or a phrase, or it's two words that are repeated three times in this section. Do you know what it is? What do they need to stay focused on? Holy Spirit. There you go. You concentrate on the Holy Spirit. Stay in Jerusalem. I'm going to send my spirit. Because we know the Old Testament, God was with them through things like the burning bush and parting the Red Sea and prophets and and priests and sacrifices and things like that. And then Jesus shows up and he's with them and he's healing blind people and lame people. He's teaching his disciples. And now they're going, well, if you're going to leave, who's going to be with us? He's like, I promised you, I would never leave you. I would never forsake you. I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. And so he shares that with them. And then after that, after he tells him that, he just starts floating and levitating. I bet that freaked him out. Now, 
this is probably sinful of me. You're just going to have to forgive me. But in my Bible, I have written off in the margins a quote from Elf. It just says, bye, buddy. I hope you find your dad. (laughs) Because that's what I picture every time Jesus leaving, and he's going to his dad, to his father. And so they're just like, well, bye. See you later. Hope you find a... Lord, forgive me. I need to repent. I need to... I don't know what I need. So some of you are writing that in your Bibles right now. You're just as sinful as I am. You need to repent as well. But that's the way it is because they're just staring off in the sky. And when all of a sudden two men in white, two angels show up. And they're going, what are you looking up in the sky for? It's time to get to work. It's time to go. He'll come back. Don't you worry about that. Jesus will come back in the exact same way that he left. He's going to come back. But between now and when he comes back, you've got a job to do. So quit staring up at the sky and get to work. And that work is going to get done by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, like I said, is mentioned three times in the book. And in there, there's two very distinct things that you can learn about the Holy Spirit that you could take home with you and and start to grasp and understand. First of all, it says in verse 4 and 5 that the Holy Spirit is a gift from our Father. That, like I said, He has promised not to leave us, not to forsake us. And even though Jesus is not with us physically here on this earth right now... God is still present through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is a gift that comes to us. As a matter of fact, if you flip the page and you're looking at Acts chapter 2 in there, it talks about how that gift comes down for humanity. Peter is preaching this sermon, and he's talking about Christ crucified, and everybody in the audience is being cut to the heart. Acts chapter 2 verse 37 says that they were all cut to the heart by the power of the gospel. And they're going, it's us. Our sins are the, th- you know, we're the ones that have crucified Jesus. He died because we are unholy. We are unrighteous on our own. We are not perfect. And so they, they're so cut to the heart. They don't know what to do. And they just look at Peter and the apostles and they say, brothers, what should we do about this? What should we do? We, we don't want this, like this, this conviction that's here. And they say, repent. Peter replies to him, repent. Be baptized, every one of you. Turn your life around. Take ownership of what you've done, as Emery told us on the stage yesterday. Turn around from that. Be baptized. Let let, let the water wash away your sins, and you'll be given the forgiveness of sins. And then it says the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. That you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by turning away from your sins and being pointed towards Jesus the Holy Spirit will become a gift and a guide in your life. And then the Holy Spirit is a gift. And then it also says in our, in our text in chapter 1 there that the Holy Spirit is also power. He's powerful. We don't always feel powerful. We can relate to the disciples in the Gospels that a lot of times they just seem like they're bumbling along. They don't understand Jesus' teaching. They don't always understand his miracles. They don't always understand what he's up to and what he's doing. You take Peter, for example. Peter seemed to always be messing up. You remember the water walking incident that worked out for him, right? And then he's drowning. There's a point where he's arguing with Jesus and Jesus calls him Satan. Says, get behind me, Satan. If there's anything I don't want Jesus saying to me, I don't want him calling me Satan. How about you? 
Like that, that just doesn't seem like a good thing for Peter. He doesn't understand Jesus' teaching, even at Jesus' death, when he's telling, you know, Jesus says, stick with me. He doesn't get that. And somebody comes to arrest Jesus. He takes out a sword, cuts off a guy's ear. That's not what Jesus is all about at all. And he just seems to always be messing things up. And that's Peter in the Gospels. But then the Holy Spirit shows up, and this unqualified, some people think a bumbling buffoon, which I'm not calling him that. That's just the way people describe describe him, all of a sudden is preaching the most awesome gospel message to a crowd of over 3,000 people that are going to come to Christ, and he's a leader in the church, and he's not drowning anymore, and he's not, he's not bumbling anymore. He is this powerful, powerful leader, and what's the difference between the Jesus, or the, the Peter in the gospels, and the Peter in the book of Acts? It's the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within him. It's this power that we get. There's no more drowning, no more denying. He's sent to places that he once failed before. And I got to say this about you as well. It's the exact same way. Under your own power, you just kind of bumble along in your faith, messing things up all the time. I get it. We're that way. But when you have the power of the Holy Spirit, you are not, like, without the power of the Holy Spirit, you are not as strong as you think that you are. With the power of the Holy Spirit, you are stronger and more capable to do things that you never thought that you would ever be able to do. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that when you find yourself in conversation with somebody and you're talking about Jesus, you will remember Bible verses that you had no idea that you knew. You will be able to spout things out of your mouth that you had no idea that you even knew about whatsoever. You're like, oh, where did I pick that up? That's the Holy Spirit that's dwelling within you under your own power. You're not very strong. You bumble along. The power of the Holy Spirit guides you and leads you and you're stronger than you ever think that you can be and so now is your time there are no excuses and there's people that are like well i don't exactly feel the holy spirit all the time and it seems like the holy spirit speaks louder to you when you're when you're at camp or at a summer conference or in a place like one weekend doesn't it seem like the holy spirit is just present and more powerful here than he is wherever you're just sitting at home does it seem that way students The reason for that is not because the Holy Spirit is more present in your life here and less present in your life at home. It's that here you've cleared away all the garbage that you have at home and you can listen to the Holy Spirit intently because you've got the word of God open and you're being real and honest in all of your small groups and you're letting the word just penetrate and soak into your heart and at home you just go back to all the same clutter that you know that you need to kill but you refuse to kill the things that are killing you. But when you do that, it opens up avenues for God to speak to you in ways that you never thought were possible. And then you're able to go do things that you never thought were possible. And so you say things like, I don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. We don't need to figure out what to do with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has already figured out what he wants to do through you. He knows what he's doing. He knows you better than you know you. And when you're sitting here saying things like, well, I'm not qualified, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a teacher, I don't know my Bible well enough, I can't go talk to my friends, I can't talk to my family, I can't talk to my coworkers, you're not actually denying your own power, you're not qualified. You're just not qualified. Okay, fine. Any adults in here, are you qualified to do any of that good work? Absolutely not. But it's the Holy Spirit that dwells within us that does qualify us for the work. God specializes in calling the unqualified people. These same disciples that we're seeing here in chapter 4, they're called unschooled ordinary men. These are just fishermen. They're not trained professionals. They're not trained preachers or teachers. 
They're just ordinary people until the power of the Holy Spirit dwells within them. I learned this lesson from a student when I was a youth pastor. His name's Aaron Wagner. You're going to see his picture up here in just a second. I just saw the Holy Spirit flowing through this boy. So Aaron's in the middle there. Uh, Aaron did, this is a homecoming or prom or something, and he didn't like fancy clothes very much, so he would just wear a t-shirt, and then you could see he just put a, a, a tie around him, and he always had a backwards hat on. Um, every time I saw him, he was like that. If he was in church, he would wear his fancy tie. If he was, you know, at just like going to hang out with friends, then there's no tie. Like that's his level of fanciness there. Uh, Sean, uh, the kid with the dark hair that looks really, really angry, but he's so nice. Like he's, he's just a nice kid. Um, th- this is their sophomore year right here. Um, and Sean is the kid with the black hair. Sean led worship for our youth ministry. I was really close with him. He's a great, great guy. And Aaron was a friend of his. They were in drama club together and he led Aaron to Christ, baptized him, um, and, and started discipling him. And I got involved in Aaron's life as well. Uh, um, and so the two of them are the best of buds. They're coming to youth group for a few months. Um, I have not met any of Aaron's family. Aaron is the only Christian that's in his family. He's got an older sister who was uh, getting ready to graduate from, from high school. Um, and she had a live-in boyfriend. Mom and dad were divorced. Uh, mom had a new husband that Aaron didn't get along with so much, didn't get along with his parents. Um, loved the church because it just felt like family and a safe place for him to be. Um, and he's, he's a great kid, involved with football, drama club, uh, struggled with his parents' divorce, struggled with grades, not a very disciplined student at all. He struggled with his identity, just his own independence. And then he finds Jesus, and I can't stop him. Like, he wants to talk to his football team about Christ. He wants to talk to his drama club about Jesus. He wants to introduce the, them to these, the, this new power that he has within him and the hope that he has through the resurrected Jesus Christ. He wants to talk to his parents about that, doesn't know how to do it. Um, there was a time that we were getting ready to depart for a trip. We were going from Portland, Oregon, all the way down to Mexico. Um, going to build a church down there. Aaron's going with us. He and his mom, first time I meet his mom, she's dropping him off for this, this trip. And Aaron, like, didn't double check his pack. He had forgot a few things. There was a form that he needed to have filled out that he didn't have. Just typical high school boy. This is his junior year at this point, and he just doesn't have anything together whatsoever for this trip that we're taking over spring break. Um, and his mom's getting frustrated. She starts to yell at him in front of me, in front of other students, in front of other leaders that are there. And she's just she's just chewing on him hard. And I'm trying to interrupt, like, hey, it's okay, we got another form, it's fine. Like, like I was just trying to pass, and she's, you know, getting on him, getting on him. Aaron's starting to argue with her. She finally just is so frustrated, she just throws the F-bomb out right there in church and, and is just cussing at him now. And he's frustrated and walks away, and I get, her name's Darla, the mom, and I get her calmed down, and we get all the stuff that we need. Aaron gets on the bus, he's embarrassed uh, he, he's beside himself. His mom just did not dress appropriately at, appropriately at all um, either. Like, she's just kind of a mess. And so he is just completely, completely embarrassed. I get on the bus and sit down next to him. He apologizes, says, you don't need to apologize to me. Like, no, that's not it. We start talking about his relationship with his mom relationship with dad and stepdad and older sister and he felt like older sister was the favorite she made good grades she did everything right he can't do anything right having a little bit of a pity party and i just said hey you gotta buck up buttercup you know jesus 
You have the Holy Spirit. It's your job to influence your family. I can't. It's impossible. Every time I say anything, I just even asked if we could pray before dinner and they were looking at me like I was just stupid about that. And they said, no, like it's going to be impossible. And we turned to a section in Luke where it talks about how we serve the God of the impossible. And it's like, Aaron, if you don't think your parents can come to Christ and you don't have hope and you don't have faith that that's possible, then it's just not going to happen. Like God has put you in this family. And so we encouraged them. And then he started talking about people on his football team and his drama club. And so we go on this trip and we have a good time and we come back and man, he's on fire and he's ready to go. He's ready to take on hell with a squirt gun. Like, and so he's talking to his drama club and he, he even starts this Bible study with some students on a, on the football team and everything. And do you know how many people came to Christ through Aaron just talking to his drama club and starting this Bible study? Zero. And every single week he'd show up at youth group just completely frustrated and, and downcast. He's like, I'm talking to them and he starts this Bible study and two guys show up the, for two weeks and then it just fizzled out and nobody else shows up and he just feels like a failure. And then he's talking to his parents and nothing is happening there. And then one day after a conversation on a Sunday morning, uh, he got his friend Josh, that's the kid in the black bow tie there. Josh shows up to church with him. And Aaron is flying high because he has been trying and trying to influence people around him. And so finally, Josh shows up. And Josh shows up not as a believer, but very, very skeptical of the things that the preacher was saying. And he had questions about how can you know that God actually exists and did he really create the world? And he's asking Aaron all of these questions before and during and after church. And Aaron's just looking at him like, oh my goodness, I don't know how to answer any of these questions. And he's trying and everything. So Aaron brings Josh to me and says, here, he's got questions. Well, I'm busy on Sunday morning and stuff and I meet him and I'm excited to meet him, but I've got other things that I'm supposed to be doing that morning. I said, what do you do? This is summer. Time. I said, what are you two boys doing tomorrow? I said, nothing. I said, great. Meet, meet up here at the church. We'll go get ice cream. There's an ice cream shop right down the street. We'll sit down and we'll just talk about all of these things. And so we can just have as much time as we need together just to dig into the word of God. And so they show up and we do that. Sean shows up too. So these three boys and me, uh, we go down to this ice cream shop and it's just a couple of hours opening up the word, talking about sharing with Josh, pouring into him. Aaron's given, Aaron's given his testimony. Uh, Josh would ask these hard questions and I'd say, Aaron, answer it. And he's like, oh, I don't know what to say. It's like, no, just think about it. He'd give an answer. We'd turn to some scripture together. I'd clean up his answer a little bit to help him out. It, it, it didn't matter if he got it all right. I just wanted him to try. Man, it was a good time. Do you know what Josh did after that? Nothing. Still not a believer. Hours in the word of God. Opening up, sharing deeply. Nothing happens. Aaron's discouraged again. Josh drives home. Aaron wants to go hang out at Sean's house for a while, so he calls his mom to say, hey, I'm going to go hang out at Sean's house. And his mom says, no, I want you to come home for dinner. Starts arguing with her. No, mom, I want to go hang out with Sean. I mean, they're, they're buddies. Like, he's always over there. They're always at each other's houses. I want to go over there. Mom says, no, I want you to come home for dinner. And so Aaron obeys. He gets on his bike. He didn't have a driver's license. He starts riding his bike home. He's got headphones popped in. And he did not see or hear this light rail train that ran through Portland. And it just ran right over him. Pinned him underneath there. Uh, they estimate he was alive for about eight or nine minutes, pinned underneath there. And uh, I'm 24 years old at this time, and I get that phone call around 8.30 at night from 
police department and I go over to Aaron's house to be with his parents and his sister and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray for. I'm shocked. They're shocked. Darla, mom grabs a hold of me and she's weeping uncontrollably and I don't know what to do with this woman at all. And uh, we sit down and pray together and she looked at me and she says, you were one of the last people with him. I want to know every single thing he did today. I said, okay. And I didn't tell her right then and there, but then later I got to share with her that the very, the very last hour of your son's life, he was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with a friend. That's what I got to tell his mom. It, after Aaron died, I did the funeral and started working with, you know, the whole entire football team, drama club. Obviously, his family is all there. Other friends that he had in the school and in the community and stuff, this funeral is packed. And from that time that he died in June all the way through that summer, there were 40 students from that high school that gave their life to Christ, baptized into Christ, living, showing up to our youth group, doing Bible studies, and all of this stuff goes on. Darla and her husband, Kevin, become Christians as as well. Darla, later on, a few years later, she's leading in ministry in our church, and she has this ministry that she leads for people in the community that have lost a child, for any, any way that you've lost a child, and there she is doing Bible studies with them, and mentoring, and helping them process their grief, because it's every parent's worst nightmare, and now she's helping them out with that. There ends up, over the course of time, over 60 people somehow related, or are friends with Aaron, that give their life to Christ. Savannah, his old older sister who has this live-in boyfriend and they're just doing all kinds of things that are completely wrong and unbiblical. They separate from each other and still dating. I performed their wedding ceremony later on that year. Like I married the two of them together. They went from Portland, Oregon to Joplin, Missouri, enrolled at Ozark Christian College training for youth ministry. And Zach went back to get involved in that youth group, the same youth group where Aaron found Jesus. He found Jesus. Like God just did all of this amazing stuff through the death of Aaron Wagner. Scratch that. God did amazing things through the life of Aaron Wagner. It was not through his death. I understand that that was a catalyst that was a catalyst for conversation. It was shocking. Nobody wanted that whatsoever. And his death, though, I think would have been meaningless. It would have been like, oh, poor kid. And, and it just would have been a little blip in the news. And that was it. Had Aaron not made the most of every single opportunity that the Holy Spirit kept placing in his life. And I could still see his frustrated face every time he'd show up to youth group. And he's disappointed in, in his relationship with his mom. And he's disappointed that his sister isn't listening to him and his friends aren't coming to Christ. I mean, we go to a summer conference later that summer. Aaron's obviously not there, but Josh right there in his drama club, struggling with homosexuality, struggling with all kinds of garbage in his life, is there giving his life to Christ. Darla becomes a leader. Kevin becomes a leader in our church. Like, it's just amazing, this turnaround. And years, years later, I had to go back up to Portland for some stuff, and I sit down in a coffee shop with Zach and Savannah and Darla, and I start this question. I said, Darla, you, like, you were really, really hard to reach. And I, said, and I started to ask this question, and the question was going to be, do you think you would have come to Christ had your son not died? We, we were very close. I felt comfortable to ask that question at that stage. And, and as I started the question, she just interrupted me. 
She says, I know what you're going to ask. I want my son back every single day, but I will not give up Jesus to get him here. It's just going to, I'm just going to have to wait till I get to go and see him. And until then, I've got work to do because there's a lot of hurting people on this earth. This is the most courageous, inspirational moments of my life. That she goes from this, I can't control myself and I'm cussing out my son before a mission trip to helping hurting people by the influence and the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit that flows through her. He thought no one was listening. He just didn't stop. You want your death to mean something? That means that your life must be impactful right now because the same gospel that has led you to the throne of God, the same gospel that's led you to the foot of the cross, there are other people that need to hear that. There is no point for you to just show up to church week after week and just get fat on the word because you refuse to share the good news with somebody else. That is not the point of a Christian life. It is not just to sit around and just soak up all of the word and not actually share it with anyone anyone else who does the unrelenting holy spirit keep putting in front of you day after day after day that needs the same hope that needs the same encouragement that needs the same power that needs the same gift of the person of jesus christ and the holy spirit in their life as well who does the holy spirit keep putting in front of you and you quit worrying about whether that they're going to listen to you you quit worrying about whether they're going to reject you you would quit worrying about all of the results of that that's god's job to worry about the results in their life and he'll accomplish those goals and he'll, re- and he'll reveal that in time. You just worry about getting to work today and let your life mean something because it doesn't matter if you die as you're going out to lunch or you live to be a hundred years old. The same power that was flowed through Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that dwells within me, I am convinced is in every single one of you young people and older people that are in this church and you've got work to do. The Holy Spirit will prove that through his power, You are way stronger than you think you are. And so in the name of the resurrected Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, get to work and go influence somebody. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.